Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. I hope you're having a good one. I was going to play some Christmas music, but then I thought, for God's sakes, you've probably heard plenty of that already. So let me just wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy Holidays. I think it's okay to say Happy Holidays as long as you work in the Christmas thing with it as well. And we do have uh, the new year coming up very soon. And boy, I'm hoping the new year is new in that good way. However, I'm terribly afraid that come January 2nd that Joe Biden will still be president. But I'm trying to wish it away. So we'll try and ignore that for now. But this is Rick Wagner here trying to get it right uh, on our war on wrong here. We're at 1192.7 on KNZZ and 980 and 101.3 on KGLN. We're all over the place. We're also on the Internet. You can follow our podcast uh, at the Rick Wagner Show. And you can click right on that podcast by going to our webpage. And the webpage can be found, I know it's a lot of information, at therickwagnershow.com or politicalviking.com. We have uh, a couple of different nom de plumes out there. So I appreciate uh, everybody uh, following that. And you can, by the way, look at a lot of the things we talk about and a whole lot more that are updated every day uh, by going to that same webpage. We have stuff out there. And so far, I'm not trying to sell you anything, by golly. And there's no commercials on it. I know. It's shocking. It shows just how much of an anti-capitalist I must be, even though I feel like a complete capitalist. I'm not manifesting it there. Anyway, so welcome back. Uh, this week is, of course, uh, as usual, uh, full of uh, weird and strange things happening. Uh, Trump's tax returns came out, which I didn't think there was anything particularly shocking in them. Some of the tabloids out there were like, he declared a negative income for, you know, all but one year. He's a billionaire. These guys do all kinds of things on their taxes, depending on what they've made and where and all these kinds of things. You really aren't going to be able to ferret too much of it out. What that told me when those stories came out was they couldn't find anything bad in him. They're just trying to smear him a little bit to say he's not as rich as he said he was. Okay, I don't think that's necessarily true, but if it makes you happy and it's Christmas, we're willing to cut you a little slack. Although as a progressive, you don't probably don't really believe in Christmas, but we do. So if it makes you feel better, go ahead. I would expect that if we saw the taxes of many rich people, the very rich people, like, uh, oh, our, you know, the Oracle from Omaha, who owns Berkshire Hathaway and all these guys, all their taxes are going to be incredibly dense. They're going to have a lot to do with trying to pay as little taxes as possible, just like everybody else, and manipulating their income, dividends, uh, draws from some of their companies, you know, one loss here, a profit there. It's all quite complicated. And Congress each year makes it even more complicated in trying to trap everybody into having a little bit more money go into their coffers so they can give it to the Ukraine. Yeah, that's right. Don't forget the omnibus spending bill, which is a disaster. It's a gigantic, shambling, megalithic creature that it fell over and it will, will crush part of the economy. And it just shows how little care is put into it by our elected representatives, particularly in the Senate. They don't care. I mean, the area of time that they seem to care about this country is not even a, a year anymore. They're just trying to stagger through to the next election, to the next news cycle, and reward people that uh, have supported them by buying votes. And I mean, it's it's really become sort of late Roman Empire stuff. Now, it wasn't the late Roman Empire when Caligula tried to make his horse a senator, but uh, that's the sort of thing that's going on now, isn't it? Yeah. Actually, I had know a lot of animals, horses, dogs, cats, that would make much better senators than some of them that we have. More lovable, uh, more trustworthy, 
and much more fun to pet. So, you know, let's uh, let's not forget that maybe Caligula, for all of his terrible ideas, was not that far off on that one. Let's look at the Ukraine, by the way, since we brought that up in a moment. Zelensky's here, or has been here, demanding more money. He's past asking, just demanding. We would need 40, $45 billion in Patriot missile systems. And at, at some point, I, I just no longer trust the guy in any shape or form. He strikes me as demanding, and I think that the way he is, the sort of facade is falling away, and we see the sort of wannabe dictator underneath there. I, I have a lot, I shouldn't say that, because I have a lot of respect for what he's done. I mean, he stood strong. You know, Joe wanted to get him out of the country. Do you need a ride? You know, get out of there when the Russians were coming. So I think he's brave. I think that he has held his country together. I don't think that's bad. But I do think that there are some tendencies there that are not attractive. And I also don't like to be bossed around by something in the Ukraine to come and get our tax dollars like we owe it to them. We haven't done anything. So I'm not exactly sure how we're supposed to finance your proxy war like we should be shamed into it by this guy. Sorry, I I don't want to be, you know, labeled as a Russian stooge because that's what happens. If you say, why are we spending all that money there without knowing where it's going? You're a Russian stooge. If you want to know why our arms are turning up in other parts of the world uh, that we send there, you're a Russian stooge. If you say anything about this wild spending, just tens and tens of billions of dollars without any real oversight, you're also a Russian stooge. So there's three stooges right there. And so I would just like to know what we're getting for it, where it's going, and if it's being used even closely to be properly. Now, I recognize that we don't really care anymore. I mean, that's obvious by what happened in Afghanistan because we just gave them $80 billion worth of equipment and support services for the equipment, including a billion-dollar embassy we just had barely finished. I'm not even sure it was completely finished. And so, you know, I mean, that's just how we operate, I guess, these days, is uh, we just dump money other places when we need it here. We could use it on the border. (laughs) What a crazy idea that is. I must be completely out of my mind. Um, And by the way, I would remind people who are listening to uh, cable news and listening to generals opine about what's going on in the Ukraine, first, Being a general doesn't mean you're a general of anything that really has necessarily a whole lot of combat experience. And if you do, it would be nice if you had some combat experience that was related to winning things. Something Mark Milley, uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs, might want to think about. The other thing is that uh, taken as a whole over the broad arc of history, there have been few people who have been responsible for more things that have went bad then generals. Some of the worst debacle, debacles or excuse me, in history have been the result of bad generals. Bad generals have lost empires, lost nations, caused much in the way of casualties. So they're, just because they're general doesn't mean they know what they're doing. So let's be a little careful with that. I heard one, I don't know, Thursday maybe, Wednesday, Thursday, just going on and on about all the economic hardship that we've caused the Russians. I haven't actually seen that if you look at the economic. I think the ruble is doing about as well as it has better than in the last eight eight years. I think it's as good as it's been in the last eight years. I don't think we know if we're hurting them all that bad economically or not. doesn't seem to be. 
that uh, idiotic plan from Janet Yellen to somehow set a set a ceiling on the amount of money that we would pay for their oil and get the and get the Europeans to go along with it was the most absurd thing. The idea was we weren't going to pay more than sixty dollars a barrel in Europe for Russian oil, and of course the Re- people in Europe would have to agree to, that they were all going to be on that, and of course the Russians would have to agree with it, which they told them. You're out of your mind. Of course she was. This is what happens when you take a character from a rejected Fraggle Rock episode and make them Secretary of the Treasury. Of course the Russians were going to. They've got plenty of other markets now. They're they're selling uh, energy products to the Chinese, apparently to the Indians, and I wouldn't be a bit surprised that they're selling them some to other countries as well. So why would they do that? These people do not know what they're talking about. And, uh, yes, the Russian war machine has broke down, and as usual, they're grinding out tons of casualties. I think that is very difficult. I, I'm not saying that, that Ukraine isn't doing well in the war. The problem is they're also having a bit of a pyrrhic victory. They're losing a tremendous amount of people. They're losing a lot of infrastructure. And things just aren't going as well as you would like to think if you were living there. A lot easier for us in Washington, D.C., to fight to the last Ukrainian. Uh, if you're Ukrainian, you may feel a little differently about that as time passes. All right, all right. So I said I wasn't going to play any Christmas music, but I changed my mind. I thought a traditional Christmas song like that just had to be played. Many of you realize the danger of these erratic reindeer being piloted around by this obviously intoxicated gentleman in the red suit. We know this, and it's dangerous out there. So I thought, if nothing else, we should play this as a public service announcement. And uh, so that, you know, that's sort of, like I said, it gets around my idea that you've heard too many Christmas songs. I'm guessing maybe you haven't heard that as much. <laughs> anyway, I felt kind of bad because the, the last segment, I was I was probably kind of hard and old Vladimir Zelensky, you know, the sort of the aggressive uh, beggar on the sidewalk the demanding all of your money. You know, I it just seems a bit much. The whole speech, you know, the, the flag kissing Nancy Pelosi, that's a little unnerving. And then, you know, the, just, uh, and having to show Kamala that how to hold up a flag and explain to her what a flag was and, you know, stuff like that. It was just a bit much. And, uh, the, the problem is, of course, out there is that you can't suggest there ought to be some sort of oversight on the amount of money that we're giving. Uh, these characters in the Ukraine, uh, without being a stooge of the Russians, right? Now, I don't know exactly what being a stooge of the Russian pays. And we discussed in the first segment that we had like three stooges, where, in other words, there are three things you can be a stooge about. But I'm not aware of where that's particularly profitable. However, uh, demanding money from the United States seems to be really profitable. And we want to make sure that it is used where at least we think where it's, it's supposed to be going, so that's kind of what I had in mind about that, because it doesn't seem to be happening. And the fact that our elected representatives, including Mitch McConnell, good Lord, every time I hear him come up with something, it's worse than the last thing he came up with. You know, our number one priority, he said this, our number one priority is, you know, this war in Ukraine. Really? What about the border? We have five million people coming in here just wandering aimlessly around the country, you know, and just who knows what they're, what, how that's going to happen and who they are, where they're going, what they're doing, you know, how fast can the Democrats register them to vote, you know, stuff like that. 
And that apparently isn't very high. Uh, people are struggling all over the place to pay for things. I did a little back-of-the-envelope calculation about the difference in cost this year here in Colorado, at least where I'm at in western Colorado, uh, with on my energy bill. And it looked to me like the bill was the same same amount of energy. If I, you know, In other words, the, the, the bill's higher or lower. This is always this thing that gets you. Well, if it's colder, you pay more. Yeah. Okay. But am I paying more for more? Remember, Excel has this two-tiered rate system anyway. Once you get past a certain amount of usage, the amount you pay for each unit of heating product goes up a lot. And then people, they, they gall and fleece people and saying, well, it's just only right. If you use more, you should pay more. Right. And I, we've talked about this before, and maybe I have some sort of, some sort of hang up about it. But, but when I explain it to people, I've done it on the radio many times, I said, okay, that's fine. If you use 100 gallons of gas versus 150 gallons of gas, you should pay more. You're using more gas. But what if I said that next 50 gallons of gas was going to cost you twice as much as the first 100 gallons you used? People are like, well, that's what's got to do with it? That's wrong. Yeah, well, that's what's happening right now in terms of you're being charged more for after a certain amount of gas because natural gas. Uh, so that uh, to keep you from, you know, utilizing it too much for, you know, that stuff you don't need it to. You're very wasteful out there. Some of you think it should be warm. Some of you think that 55 is like uh, a little chilly in the house, for instance. Now, I remember uh, Jimmy Carter. Well, I don't remember it very well, but I mean, uh, you know, Jimmy Carter, uh, you know, put a sweater on, told everybody to turn the thermostat down, lower your expectations. That was pretty sad. Luckily, we had uh, Ronald Wilson Reagan come along and shake that off. I don't know. We're we're been down in the boondocks here uh, with what things are going on this last two years at a rate that is just almost inconceivable uh, in terms of the decline. I've never never would have imagined something quite this fast. I could imagine it getting here, but not this fast. It's sort of like how fast drag shows became the entertainment of choice in elementary schools. Who would have thought that would have happened so fast? I never would have guessed it. A couple of years ago, would have seemed like pretty much of an outlier. Now it's kind of right down the middle, happening all the time. And uh, the school boards will fight you for it. And if you folks, wherever you're at, don't get out and replace your school board members that are be- in believing that that kind of stuff is okay with somebody else, I don't know what happens in a couple of years. I mean, because it is true. You get a hold of kids when they're young enough, and start indoctrinating them to things, you can change a lot of stuff with them. And then they become, I don't know, not very uh, productive citizens. And I don't know where the Antifa people came from, but it'd be interesting to know where these uh, Gen Zer Antifa people started out. I mean, we see a lot of them come from pretty wealthy backgrounds and families and stuff. And we do know, as we talked about last week, that that growing up with things too easy make you... Oddly enough, angry, you lash out at things, uh, you can't take any adversity, you blame others for stuff. And, of course, you've grown up in an environment where there's no accountability, which is one of the reasons you haven't had any adverse effects in your life to toughen you up from your behavior. You know, Your behavior is excused, it's covered up, it's whatever the case may be. So when you do see some sort of adverse thing or it's not easy or things don't go the way you want to, well, you overreact. Because you're entitled to. It's not just that you are mad at the police. You burn down the police station. Seems logical to you. I mean, who do they think they are? 
why you're the smartest, best person in the world. You have a whole room full of participation trophies when you're a kid. Who are they to mess with you? You kind of see how that happens. So I, I do kind of wonder where this stuff goes. But uh, we are, we're on the, you know, pretty much on the road to nowhere here if we don't get things straightened out pretty soon. But getting back to just a touch of the Ukraine, we're a little hard on them, but there's some things that we should say. First, in, in, in their defense, as a percentage of our gross domestic product, in other words, what we produce here, which is get kind of hard to figure out because the government messes with it all the time, so it's hard to figure out what really is going on with our finances in the country. But anyway, yeah, we are not paying the most to Ukraine based on GDP. On the other hand, our GDP is so much bigger than the other countries that are paying it, it's kind of not a good way to compare it. In my view, some of the things we're doing are just tactically wrong. I, I don't understand them, and some of the military experts out there are the same way. As I've said before, one of the things you don't do in these proxy wars, and that's what it is, I mean, it's we're doing everything but having American troops fight. American money supports it, American equipment the training to use how it, we, everything we send over there. The only difference is that there are different people sitting in it. That, that's a proxy war. And we're getting more and more involved in it. But kind of the idea on a proxy war is that you don't send your best stuff. Because without your people flying it, without your people preparing it, firing it, whatever you're doing, uh, it tends to not be used in an ideal fashion. They don't have the experience with it. This allows it to be used improperly, which means that the enemy gets to study it more. You would prefer that the enemy discover the lethality of your weaponry a little bit of a surprise. They should think it's pretty lethal, but they shouldn't get to experiment with it for a year or so to see what works in terms of defeating it. When you fight a proxy war and you start sending things like our Patriot missile systems over, which we're apparently going to do, which is our frontline anti-ballistic missile systems, so that the Russians can study it. Obviously, they're going to get a hold of some of them. I mean, there's no way it's not going to happen. Who knows? You know, the Ukrainians have them. You know, how well will they use them? Will they be protected in ways that prevent, prevent the Russians from really being analyzing them and determining what the best operational defense against them is? You just don't want to send much of your first-line material anywhere in proxy wars. You want to save it for yourself so it's a little bit of a surprise if you have to use it. And in the meantime, we have these hypersonic missiles that that Putin is deploying. And we've talked about those before. There's a video on my website at uh, com. You may have to go way down to the bottom because I stuck that video down at the bottom because we had it up for a long time. That explains what the hypersonic missile is. Instead of firing from point A to point B in an arc, let's say, the missile is fired in most instances high into a low orbit so that it picks up a tremendous amount of speed much faster than able to track at this point, and then it drops down, fires itself down at an extreme high rate of speed to its target, makes it very difficult, if not almost impossible, for an anabolistic missile system, the way we've deployed them now and the ones we have, to knock it out. And uh, he seems to be deploying some of those from his forces. I don't know what that means. I don't know how well they've worked. They seem to be a little ahead of us, or they were, in terms of that technology, the, Jap- the Japanese, <laughs> the Chinese have been as well. So we're making some really weird mistakes, folks. Hopefully after this uh, first of the year, the new year will be better. All right, I know I keep breaking my rule about playing Christmas music, but I, I think that uh, you know this one, just like the one on the, uh, before the last segment, 
Probably not something you're hearing overplayed on the radio all the time. <laughs> so besides that, we need a little something to laugh at. I'm looking through my list of things I was going to talk about today, uh, and there's not a lot to laugh at, and I don't want to be such a downer during the holidays. I realized I started off that way, and I and I just am. I don't know how I got off on uh, Ukraine and Zelensky. I just, uh, well, I know I got off, I started it off, but it just kind of went on. And, you know, I was sitting here thinking during the break, I was thinking, now, what, what is this thing about the, uh, the, the sweater and the cargo pants and the sort of, sort of, you know, loungewear for the military kind of look that he's, he's adopted, especially in, in our Congress, really dressed up for it, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's always appreciated. And I thought, why does that bother me? And I thought, who else regularly when you're the head of a country, especially if you're not necessarily in the armed forces, but still wear all that stuff? There's been a lot of people like that that haven't turned out to be such great bets on our part. You know, there was a guy in the 60s, the early 60s, that the media loved. They thought he was just the cat's pajamas, you know. He was up in the mountains fighting the invested interests in this island, you know. And uh, he was going to come down and just set things straight, make things great all over again. And he wore a sort of these fatigues all the time and, uh, you know, the whole kind of thing. Smoked a cigar, though. Uh, and, uh, yeah, what was his name? I think it's Fidel, you know, was uh, was kind of like that. There have been a number of them. I think that's part of the reason it makes people a little nervous. Now, Zelensky's a different deal, to be fair. He is someone whose country was attacked. And he's been fighting back and he's being, but they've been doing a great job of defending themselves. Uh, a lot of it with our money and weaponry, but they've been doing a great job. It's, hey, it's their lives that are on the line out there. You know, you can't minimize that. And so I don't want to forget that. It's just, where's this going? <laughs> now, the Lindsey Graham of it all, if you would uh, listen to that, you get this that, oh, we have to fight. He actually said this the other day. We have to fight until there's regime change. Really? So you don't understand uh, Russia at all, apparently. I mean, did, don't you guys get brief? Doesn't some analyst come in and talk to you a little bit? Now, I realize the CIA is not much it's cracked up to be a few years ago. It's kind of fallen off while well, spending a lot of their time spying on us. But uh, they've got to have a few people there. Or somebody took a couple of classes in undergraduate. You know, I mean, I took a lot of classes about the Soviet Union and uh, then Eastern European communism and, and the Russian ideas and this and that. And it's not, it doesn't take a genius when you look at that to kind of see how these things go. And regime change, huh, that'll be interesting. Essentially what he wants is somebody to take Putin out. All right. That has happened in Russian history, and it's certainly happened in the Soviet Union. Uh, so, okay. And then what? Well, like we talked about here before, I don't know. And neither does anyone else. The power structure in Russia has always been difficult for us to ascertain, and it's purposely so. The head of security forces in Russia usually has a leg up if something happens to the guy at the top or if they make something happen to the guy at the top because they control the instrumentalities of internal security and they can also make you disappear. It can be a real plus if you're trying to seize power. Doesn't always work out that way. You know, Barry, I had that kind of stuff, and it just, he didn't quite, uh, you know, he didn't quite make the general secretary of the party at the time when they were running at things that way. I think Beria was one, all the, uh, by the way, who said, because uh, Stalin gets misquoted by this, but I think it was Beria, the head of the security forces, the, 
was it the KGB at the time or the NKVD? I'd have to look it up. But uh, who said, you know, show me the man, I'll show you the crime, which is essentially what happens in this country lately to some extent, where if there's somebody we want bad enough to get gone, or badly enough, excuse me, make sure we get those adverbs correctly, if we want them gone badly enough, uh, we can find a way. You know, there we have, we have so stacked the laws on top of the back of the people. And this is, this is a problem. Now, the more numerous the laws, the more corrupt the society, right? That's always been kind of a watchword. Tacitus had some things to say about that. Other people have had pretty much the same thing to say. So what you see here is an enormous amount of legislation every time let Congress and our own state legislatures get together. Colorado, here where I'm at, this has gotten tremendously bad. They're generating all sorts of legislation. Now, as we said before, they keep us from worrying about it because they don't really tell us until it's done because no one reports on it, partly because there's been a drop-off in the news organizations in general and the ones that are still you know, limping along like all this far-left stuff. So if they think it's going to you know, get the yokels out there wound up a little bit, they just won't report it. Why should they? Just because they're going out of business because no one's reading them because they don't report anything? They haven't quite tumbled to that idea yet. Don't know what happened, but they just, they seem to be missing that. Anyway, so it's, it's something that, uh, is, is a bizarre situation to think that you know what's going to happen if Putin fell over dead tomorrow or if there was some kind of coup or whatever. We don't really have a lot of idea. And I've read some of the, you know, the analyst stuff that they at least released to the public. There's a number of people that could surface as the new leader of Russia, the new president of Russia, as it were. And in the past, we've not had a very good track record of predicting who that might be when these things happen. Uh, there's usually several candidates. And some of the candidates that would happen uh, upon the way, if something happened to Vladimir, is that uh, they're worse than him. Yeah, they're they're pretty hardcore dudes. And so we don't necessarily know that a change with Putin is going to be an improvement. So I think before you wish for things, you should know what it is you're wishing for. And if you just wish for him to be gone, I think it'd be important to know what the substitution would be. It's a little bit like wishing Joe Biden weren't there if you didn't know that Kamala Harris would step in. Changes your thinking a little bit in some situations, right? Same thing there. So we we kind of wonder when we're sitting out here looking, what's the end game? Now, if they push the Russians completely out of the Ukraine, which would not be entirely impossible, I think it's unlikely, uh, push them all the way back to, I don't know, pre-2015 when they started this stuff. Remember when uh, Barack uh, was giving them blankets instead of weaponry? If we would have probably done much less to help them against the Russians earlier, we wouldn't be nearly as in deep as we are now. And now it's an uncomfortable thing. We are way too close to what used to be one of the most corrupt countries in Europe. Well, Eastern Europe. And uh, it's always been since it's, what has it been, a country, I believe, since 96 or something like that? It's always been sort of a sieve between sort of the black market that goes on between Russia and Western Europe. The, these countries develop all the time where 
it's the place you go to make sort of shady, gray deals about things because there's people from both places operating in there. And, you know, so it, it encourages that sort of shady government. And so we're not, I think, particularly clear, at least most of us, about who's running the place and what's going on. We don't even get reported about it. We just get some speeches. We see, you know, some really important, very important leaders, thought leaders in the United States, like, say, Ben Stiller. Uh, I don't know if Barbara Streisand's been there yet, but, you know, that kind of people going over there and uh, having some sort of bizarre photo op with this guy. And so we don't really know. We need to know. What's their plan? And I understand that you're trying to keep control of your country, so you're trying to sort of stomp on dissent. But that ought to be something we hear a little more about if you're using our money to do it. I'm not trying to be like a wet blanket or anything. You know, we had that kind of thing going on in our country in World War One. For those of you who know this, and others I've talked about it before, spend a little time looking at the Wilson administration's treatment of people who were not in favor of his policies, particularly policies about World War One, The American Protective League is always something you might want to look up, and the way he treated newspapers and things like that. He was probably one of the most despotic, if you want to say that, uh, presidents that we've had. I mean, Joe's trying. Uh, he certainly has... a a lot more levers, there's a lot more federal agencies involved in our lives at a lot deeper level. But he's, Wilson, you know, right up there, uh, probably one of the worst. Certainly, you could compare him, say, with Lincoln, who uh, did these things but was trying really for a different result and was in the middle of a civil war and did a lot of things we don't hear about in terms of the press and critics and stuff like that that, you know, really aren't all that super attractive, but at least you kind of got what was going on. Wilson just couldn't stand the fact that people would disagree with him, kind of, if you look back on it. And Teddy Roosevelt just had no use for Woodrow Wilson whatsoever. And as many of you probably know, that election, the election for the second term from Wilson, and I'm stretching my memory here since I don't have anything in front of me. But Teddy Roosevelt was going to run, was actually in the midst of of running, I think, and getting started. And the polling of the day showed that T.R. way ahead of Woodrow Wilson. I think a lot of honest historians would say that Teddy Roosevelt would have beat Wilson in that second uh, contest for the presidency. But T.R. passed away. It really makes you wonder what our country might be like if we would have had Teddy Roosevelt for a term or two, <laughs> uh, at least one, uh, instead of Wilson again, and then the whole handoff and the kind of mess he made of things, it, it would have been an interesting kind of alternative history. But, you know, we're in, we're in the midst of a situation where we're just firing our resources into an area that to accomplish something we'd like to see, but even what we'd like to accomplish is really ill-defined. And like I said, you get the Lindsey graham of it all out there with, uh, you know, these pop-off statements. I don't know what his deal is, if he's just trying to look tough or, or what, you know. I mean, I sort of expect it from the Pelosi's and the Schum. They don't know what they're talking about. They could care less. They're just trying, they're just posturing all the time. I think Lindsey Graham should know a little better. Apparently, either doesn't or doesn't care, or he's just saying it for the sake of getting some attention. 
I don't know. But I think it's dangerous rhetoric, frankly, if you don't know what you're asking for. If you, you could ask for something, but if you don't know what's going to come your way, then it's not a great ask. Anyway, so I was trying to avoid some of these crazy stories I had uh, this last week. Just some of them are just a little disturbing. For instance, this uh, gender dysphoria rates, you know, with kids now where they're saying they have, they don't know what gender they might be and they may need treatment or all sorts of things uh, with giving them puberty blockers and so forth. The number of those puberty blocker prescriptions uh, that have been given to kids under 18 has doubled since 2017. So, but that's about all I can talk about that. That's just, the whole thing is just so depressing, the, the way that that has taken off. And I don't think that it's even close to being monitored. And and we're starting to see people come out who, who said that they were encouraged to transition. I always sort of want to see quotes around that on very thin uh, evidence that that was really the right thing for them. You know, a couple of, uh, a couple of counseling sessions or something. Some of them are just very disturbingly quick. And we're starting to see people come out about that. So that kind of thing just disturbs me. I have another story too where there's a CEO of a, I think it's a, some type of, uh, child advocacy group. It's actually in Colorado, I think it is, who said that, uh, parents don't have the right to know, uh, about a child's feelings about, you know, their, their, they want to have a sex change or something like that. That just sort of goes hand in gloves with that. I mean, how did that happen? How did we get there so quickly? So I don't know. By the way, uh, if you're interested in getting kind of a nice, uh, you know, 5,000 foot view about this whole thing with Twitter and the FBI and this money, this three and a half million dollars they paid them, there's a story up that I posted at, uh, the rickwagnershow.com that, uh, which you can also get to politicalviking.com where they explain all of it. Uh, the headline is Twitter get explained. The FBI paid Twitter 3.5 million to handle its request. Told to delete accounts after warning the site about the upcoming Hunter leak. Or there's going to be some dis- Russian disinformation coming out very soon. You know, and like very quickly, Hunter Biden comes out and then everybody's like, yeah, that's what that is. Uh, remove posts for Biden campaign and shadow ban conservatives. So they paid them to do this work, which is just really crazy. As I've said before, I think the constitutional interpretation is very clear. You cannot ally yourself with private party players and certainly not pay them to do things on behalf of the government that the government is enjoined from doing themselves. And those kind of activities are clearly not sanctionable. Well, they're not sanctioned by the Constitution. They're not permitted. So I don't know how, I don't know where this lends up. It's, it's crazy that it got that far along and seems to me like we don't know what to do about it. Well, I guess I don't know what the end game ought to be, but to me, what we've seen so far is clearly unconstitutional. It's, it's enlargement of government power at the expense of the Constitution. And the Constitution has built a pretty good fence around that kind of behavior. They seem to have just hopped all over it, sort of like the lambs do when people are counting sheep, just bing, bing over the top of it. So I don't know what I end up on that, but something has to be done. The other one I wanted to bring up, uh, (laughs) if you want to read something interesting, and I don't know why this really just, it's just so emblematic of things we're talking about, that uh, the Marines, that would be the United States Marines, 
study has come out where they suggest that they stop using sir or ma'am to avoid misgendering superiors. I saw that story, and this is up on the website too, and I thought, what, what, what do they mean, mis- mistaking the gender of their superiors? And uh, one of the quotes of this I put up, uh, gendered identifiers prime recruits to think about or visually search for a drill instructor's gender first before rank or role. Just stop and think about that for a second. So what they're implying is, is that the recruit in the heat of the moment doesn't know the gender of their drill instructor or they can't decide it on the fly. How does, what, is, what does that make you think about what's going on? So we're having people who are drill instructors or instructors in the military, the Marines apparently, that they're saying, well, when you look look at them or just talk to them, you can't tell what their gender might be. So you should say stop saying sir and ma'am so you don't mistakenly misgender them. Hmm. So what's going on with the uh, what, <laughs> what that what's what must that be like? To where you can see your drill instructor who's about eight inches from your face screaming at you and you still don't know what's their gender. Is it, you don't know what gender they prefer that day or are they representing or it's, uh, the whole story is, brings up more questions, uncomfortable questions than, uh, than they even talk about in there. So. You know, luckily we also have, you know, some other words out there that we're not supposed to be using. Stanford University, you know, came out with a list here at the end of the year to help us out with that. There's a lot of words that are, uh, you know, harmful. Okay. Language is harmful. One, I think that you'd realize right away is fireman. That's yeah, very harmful. Uh, we need to do away with that. The other one, and this is one that I think everyone will recognize as being harmful, uh, at least if you're at Stanford is American. That was on their list of uh, harmful phrases. So we got that going for us at our major universities. So where does that leave us? Well, it leaves us in the lurch, doesn't it? It leaves us in a situation that I actually believe, in the end, may have a positive inflection. Now, we're kind of at that point where things are either going to get more sensible or they're going to tumble down to another level. Now... We're not going to just see the country collapse like over a period of two years. It's just, you know, something else. Call it the, uh, you know, the People's Republic of people who don't want to have a name because it's offensive. What you can do in these kinds of situations historically is you can just become kind of the same country, but not really. Your standard living can go down. Your educational achievements go down. The whole thing you become sort of a second-world country. See, we never talk about that. We always talk about third-world countries. Well, if we're a first-world country in the United States and, say, people who are living in the Congo are in a third-world country because they're still struggling to get up to an industrialized society, uh, a lot of them work pretty hard, by the way, and there's a lot going against those people down there. They, they have it tough. And if that's the case, then where's the second-world countries? Anybody got any idea what a second world country is? See, I kind of have an idea. I think like a second world country is maybe, uh, I mean, India is kind of in the, in the balance there. Has a lot of 
first world kind of technology and things that we have here, but it also is struggling with its with the remainder of its caste system and its poor and things like that. And of course, if you want to see the direction, it seems to be that Great Britain is in the elevator and uh, hitting the down button from the first world. And maybe they're going to stop there at second world. I don't know. I mean, their quality of life in Great Britain in many ways does not seem to be improving and seems to be getting kind of degraded. I mean, it's certainly easy to go to jail for all kinds of things in Great Britain. Now, Canada's accelerated that a lot. It's went from kind of a bunch of guys up there who seem to be kind of harmless, produce some good comics, and, you know, use the word A a lot. Where are you going, eh? But, uh, and hosers, can't forget hosers and toques. But uh, now all of a sudden it's uh, some sort of crazy quasi-dictatorial kind of area. All of these, by the way, are cautionary tales about nation states that have no backstop. Our country has a backstop. It's called the Constitution. Things can get bad, but supposedly no worse than is allowed by the Constitution. These countries don't have it. And that's why things can change so quickly and surprisingly. If you want to wish a Christmas present for somebody, wish them a Constitution. See you next week.